Welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. The podcast is currently on more or less hold to accommodate the recordings for the daily community meetup. During this crazy time, I'm having daily meetings online via Zoom where we can all join and see each other on video and there's special guests. And so I thought I would post the replays here on the podcast so those who can't listen live can listen later. So here we go, continuing on with the daily community meetups. If you'd like to join, all you have to do is go to swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, M-E-E-T, swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, and you can join us any day of the week, 12 noon Eastern during the week, and weekends I'm doing 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday and Sunday. So I hope you all enjoy this episode of the Daily Community Meeting. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Welcome to the Daily Community Meeting. So glad to have you at Sunday night. I want to start off with a very simple meditation. I do them very differently than a lot of people do. I just do a moment of gratitude, like a minute of gratitude, breathe however you want. And then the second minute, I'm going to read you a poem called Trenches. And then we are just going to breathe. So close your eyes and just breathe normally, but pay attention to your breath. And this may be the first time you've actually stopped today. So if that is true of you, as it is of me, enjoy that for a moment. And think of something that you are very grateful for right now. And that may just be the coffee that's coming at breakfast tomorrow. Because some some nights, all I can think is I'm just going to be glad when it's morning and I can have coffee. (laughs) So whatever you're grateful for, just think about that for a minute. And I want you to breathe. And just be quiet, just for a minute. Today, I am in the trenches. Sometimes the trenches of the world. Sometimes the trenches of the soul. Sometimes in the ditches, I have dug myself or others have dug for me. It can feel dark sometimes. It can make the days long and the world feel even trenchier. But there within me, I can find a light. Not always easily, but I always somehow come back to it. Today, I may be in the trenches, but I can look up and see sky. I can feel air in my own breath. I am warm-blooded and steel-souled, fast-loving and openly generous. I am here. I am right where I need to be, for in the trenches, I am called to be me, so I can shine, so I can see, so I can be. And Jen Elizabeth was our special guest last Wednesday, 
and she was fantastic. If you guys didn't have a chance to join, please go back and listen to the podcast episode with her. It was excellent. But this is her book, Shape of a Woman. It came in the mail to me today, and I had I I rarely just open a book and start reading it. I'm going to take off this cardigan. I'm hot. Um, I rarely just open a book and, and start tearing through it right away. I usually put it on the shelf and then I get to it when I get to it. <laughs> but something in me said, open this book and take a look. And maybe because I just spoke with her, but I highlighted something in the first chapter that I wanted to read before we talk with Britt, because I know Britt's work very well. <laughs> and I know the kind of conversations we can have and we can have fun ones too. Um, but I thought this was really powerful. I will honor my pain. And contrary to what a lot of unhealthy people will try and convince you of, you can honor your pain without dishonoring those around you. And we do not have to do this healing in the dark corners of our closets. It's time to begin nurturing ourselves, to come out of isolation and find a language for the things that shape us, to find a voice for the pain we have suppressed out of fear of being seen as a victim or vulnerable. We must learn to hold and rock the little girls and boys inside of us so that we can grow into the amazing men and women who we were born to be. Let's lay down the weight of the baggage we were never meant to carry so we can then have the strength to pick up the pieces of ourselves that we have let fall along the way. If the only way out is through, then that is exactly what we need to do. I will tell my story, the messiness and the miracles, the beauty and the filthy beasts that live inside of me. I will not tiptoe for fear of judgment. I am not bound to how I have been shaped. There are things in my life that are absolutely and arguably my responsibility. And there are things that were never mine to carry. There is something magical that happens when we brave this world unmasked, unarmed, and ready to heal. It inspires others to let their own truths run free. This is my journey through the fire. I am, I am woman, hear me heal. Which I thought was so amazing. So thank you, Jen. I appreciate that so much. So this is her book, Shape of, Shape of a Woman. And um, I'll post a link to her Instagram. You definitely want to check out her story. So thank you. All right, on to the main event. <laughs> Britt Frank, welcome back to another meeting with me. Hi, I love those readings so much. Those are really, really beautiful and really timely. So yes. Really timely, really timely. So Britt thought we would start, since we usually get into some heavy talking, she thought we would start tonight with something fun, <laughs> which was quarantine confessions. I mean, come on, right? This is heavy stuff. You know, trauma is heavy without all of the pandemic, quarantine, all of this stuff. Most of us were carrying pretty heavy trauma bags to some degree before this, and now we have this. So we've got to bring a little bit of humor. It's yeah. not minimizing the reality of the pain. It's not in any way trivializing, but it's like, come on. Like, I know I am not the only one not living my best life. <laughs> like, I'm not. It's the same stuff that happens. People curate their lives and put it on social media now it's just oh my gosh look at all of the stuff I've gotten done and it's like okay well I ate Oreos and I haven't done laundry in two weeks so <laughs> I tell Britt I was like I don't want to do that because I'm trying to dig people out of these holes <laughs> and 
she's like, you have to tell what the truth is. Okay. So quarantine confessions, we are on, oh gosh, we've been a while, 10 days maybe. Um, I've been out of the house a couple of times. I mean, I go for walks every day, but like community outside of the four people in this house has been done. So I've been doing excellent the past three days. I've stuck to a schedule. I've done everything that I want to do and I'm feeling very proud of myself. <laughs> now, the seven days prior to that, it looked something like, oh my God, the world might shut down. We should probably order pizza. And then after we do that, I should probably go to Whole Foods with my gloves and spend $100 on ice cream and stock the freezer downstairs, just in case. And then I can judge my daughter when I'm at Whole Foods buying said ice cream and she sends me a text that says, will you buy ice cream? <laughs> so, I mean, that was some bad behavior. I, I really have to be coerced to bathe. No, no stop, stop. Okay, it was not bad behavior. I know, Dang, I'm it for it. Okay, it was not bad behavior. It was just behavior. Wait, what is it I'm supposed to say? Not bad. It might not have been the you know your best look, but it wasn't bad. You're never bad. Never bad. How do we get out of that habit? And is that true? <laughs> that could take us down the rabbit hole for the rest. Of, I believe. We're supposed to stay light and funny. Wait, what else? Let's not go there yet. Okay, good. Because you're not bad, but go on. Okay. Um, so that, I mean, that's really it. I do have to be coerced to bathe sometimes. And it's not because I'm just a gross person, but I wake up and I, um, put on my workout clothes and then maybe I work out right away or maybe I don't work out for a long time. And then I finally do. And then it's dinner time and it's like, oh, and then I have this meeting and you know, whoops, it's bedtime. <laughs> I have another quarantine confession. Super not proud of this either, but let's just be honest. Yeah. I'm, really, I'm really not proud of this, but I may, have watched, yeah. I may have watched almost all of Love is Blind. Okay, what is with that show? There's a lot of people smiling. What is with that show? I told you guys tell I'm not, be, I can't be the only one. Secret no, I think I'm watching something worse though. Have you seen, have you heard of Tiger King? No, what is that? Oh, I, I feel like Tiger King is worse than Love is Blind because Love is Blind is at least, um, a reality show about sex and love, right? Tiger King is about people raising lions and tigers and and like fighting within their industry and, and like trying to take each other down with exotic animals. It's really good. No, it's no, really good. It, it just is. Yeah. Okay, anybody else sharing on here or is this Yeah, just I mean, if they want to, they, I don't force them. I don't call on them. Quarantine. Anyone have any confessions they need to get off their chest? Everyone's like, no, we're doing it right. Oh, there you go, Jen. Yeah. Hi. Hi. So, um, yeah, I let my kids eat Cheetos for breakfast the past few mornings. <laughs> yes! Honesty! Thank you. Uh, and you I admit care. it. We are just surviving, man. We're just, I'm just giving everyone a bunch of grace and, you know, they're not going to die from Cheetos. I mean, no. you know, I'm not proud of it, but uh, there it is. <laughs> no shame. That sounds good. I'm <laughs> into your house tomorrow for breakfast. Yeah, right? Oh, that's a good one. Good one, Jen. Um, yeah, I think maybe another confession. I mean, I don't have to just list all of mine, but another one would be like, I'm just not making my kids do school. I support cats. Their little brains are so hijacked right now by the fear and the fear and the uncertainty. It's like if school works, great. If school's your thing, go for it. And if not school works and not school is your thing, like they're gonna be okay. 
Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I know at some point we have to care about education, <laughs> but then that takes me back to my childhood where education was everything and you were expected to get, you know, A's or deaf. And so that's really triggering for me to even think to push that on my kids. So I, I swing too wildly the opposite way, you know, but that's not bad or good. It just, it's not bad or good. It just is. I have this really beautiful quarantine book list and I'm going to catch up on, you know, like Anna Karenina and meanwhile, six hours of scrolling on Corona memes later. No, no, no. You can't catch up on the hard books. That's like saying, I'm going to sit down and read do a little jaunt with Faulkner tonight. Like you just can't. No, no. Oh, there's one, Abby. Hi. Hi. Sorry. I look like crap. Stop. Um, no, not allowed. No shame. I, I'm also I'm also a trauma therapist, and I am supposed to be doing a 12-hour CEU on telemental health right now. And instead, I'm fangirling and watching you guys instead. Yes. <laughs> I feel like this should be an hour of CEU for you. I mean, there's there's bread over there. I'll sign your form. Send it to. Okay. They'll <laughs> be like, "Who is this?" It doesn't matter. I'll even notarize it. <laughs> I, there's Todd. I feel like if it has a notary on it, they'll accept it. <laughs> All right, Todd, I'm unmuting you. I think I am. If you quit trying to unmute yourself. Hey, no, I, I, I didn't do it. I was just saying the doctor nonsense can sign off on it. Oh my gosh. Do you see that picture in his background? Yeah. That, is, that may or may not be a picture of me at age four. No. Yeah, and he does this to me. It's like he's like a heckler. Like if I was a comedian, he sits on the front row and he finds he he gets these from my mother because they're friends. I think it's funny, so I'm muting you. <laughs> oh my gosh! Anyone else with some confessions, and then we will, I guess, get into some. Well, the whole point of the quarantine confession is that even. During times like this, everything is not always as rosy as it looks online. And being honest and truthful is one of the last things that are actually in our control right now. Everything else is pretty much out of our control and out of our awareness. But if we choose to be honest, that's going to help. Even if, and so we'll start by being honest about the stupid shit because it's inconsequential, but honesty about the big stuff. You know, how many moms are climbing the wall? I mean, I don't, I don't have kids, but I have lots of friends and lots of clients. How many moms are like legit crying in bathrooms because the kids and how many people are stuck at home with abuse? I mean, there's a lot going on. So let's start by, this is the stupid shit I'm watching, the stupid shit I'm thinking and the stupid shit I'm eating. And that'll allow us the safety to go into the deeper stuff. Right. And I can't imagine, Suzanne's got her hand raised. Um, I can't imagine having young kids at home right now. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was the kind of mom that I was glad to go back to work. Like when I did, you know, I was cool with it. It wasn't, I wasn't like, Oh, I'll miss you. I was like, bye. <laughs> like I love them, but I, the young children were super hard for me. And so I, I keep thinking of the people that have like the super young ones at home. It's like, Oh, Suzanne. Hi friend. Hey, you know, I I uh, started watching Grey's Anatomy. I'd never seen it, so I've got a whole lot of. You've got like six years. That's <laughs> like so. That, that's one thing that I'm doing. I I am sort of getting some other stuff done, but you know, I mean, this weekend we did a lot of yard work, which was like 
that was great outside, exactly what we needed. But you know, last Thursday and Friday, like I could do no work. Mm -hmm. I, like I just, I mean, like I, my brain couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, and now I have made a solemn, the only time that I've watched TV before five o'clock was when Nelson Mandela was released from Robben Island. Because when I was in college, I skipped class a few times to watch TV during <laughs> the day. And I realized that was like, I can't believe I did that, you know? And it was like to watch, a, I don't know, General Hospital or something. <laughs> Scandalous. So anyway, so, so I'm still keeping to my, like, I'm not going to watch television before five o'clock. But I tell you, you know, it's, it's almost like, now I don't drink, but it's almost like that, oh, it's five o'clock somewhere. I have to tell you pretty soon that's what it's going to be like. It's like, it's, it's five o'clock in England. I'm going to start watching television. So. Well, I mean, you picked a really tough show to just turn off. I know, I, I know. Think it's season four that's like, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. So oh. I've got a lot to watch, and so we'll see what happens. But anyway, I love this. This is great. Thanks. Thanks, Suzanne. <laughs> Thanks. Anyone else want to tell us what's going on? Okay. Wait, we got someone to admit. Cool. So Britt, what should we talk about tonight? I actually have, I have something I, I think I want to get your take on. All right. Hit me. All right. So people pleasing. I talk about this a lot in my book and I, I've noticed with a lot of people, it's a thing, big thing, people pleasing. So in your work and your kind of experience that you've, you've seen a lot of people now, where does people pleasing come from i mean is it as simple as saying childhood i mean do people are people not people pleasers and they turn into people pleasers or like what what is your whole take on people pleasing you're not gonna like it as a people pleaser <laughs> i am too to a degree i i know most people with trauma are people pleasers to a degree but people pleasing is wait let's a, back up because huh? a lot of people are new let's back up trauma define trauma. your definition yeah. of trauma so trauma is anything that exceeds our brain's capacity to process. So anything that's too much, too fast, too soon, it doesn't have to be a huge bad event. It could be, it's trauma is just data coming in, exceeds processing speed. So good things can be traumatic. You know, really wonderful changes can be traumatic. It's not just about I was in a war or I was attacked or I was, you know, the survivor of an earthquake. It's like trying to swallow a T-bone without chewing. Oh. <laughs> That's a good one. I don't think I've heard that one before. Okay. I'm trying new stuff, so I'm not repeating myself with you. So, uh, so really trauma healing is about turning these big chunks of data into bite-sized pieces of information that our brain can then digest and absorb and then use like food. Mm, okay. All right. So people- Trauma is indigestion of the brain. Oh, that's good. I'm going to write that one down. Indigestion of, that makes it sound um, overcomable. It is. It's an injury, not a mental, that's my biggest thing. And I know you know that, but I'll say it for people that I don't know here. Trauma is not a mental illness. Undiagnosed trauma will look exactly like mental illness. And because the mental health world is not trauma trained by and large, like you actually don't need to be trauma informed to be a mental health provider, which is just insanity. But most mental health diagnoses are actually un unaddressed trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 
preach. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer. So a brain that feels safe is not going to produce symptoms. Okay. So I wanted to talk about people pleasing, but I don't want to anymore. Talk about safe. What is it? What do you mean safe? What is safety? What is safety right now? Right? Right. So right now, I don't even think safety is achievable. I think less threatened is really what we all need to be going for. And to some degree, obviously, you know, there's been a lot of talk about privilege. You know, how fortunate are we that we have homes and that I have, you know, Oreos to binge on? Like, how fortunate am I? And that's true. But at the same time, trauma's trauma. Feelings are feelings, pain is pain. And we all, to some degree, are feeling unsafe right now. I don't know anybody that is feeling, quote, safe unless they're dissociated in which case that's a whole nother thing but um we need to be shooting for less bad less threatening and that will help us round the edges out until this whole thing is over so how do we i mean and do you call that like establishing a new normal or like what how how do we how do we frame this in day to day you know when because i everyone i've talked to every one of my clients so far and others have said, well, for the last week, I've been fill in the blank, eating, can't get out of bed, like, like some other not so great behavior. But it's, it seems to be the theme, like this happened. And then for a period of time, people are doing their coping mechanism. Right. Well, if you want to talk safety from like a brain science point yeah. of view, we're social creatures. We are mammals. We are wired for connection, which is the biggest irony of this whole thing is that we are all now forced into disconnection. But I don't know if I've connected with more people during this quarantine than I did in the months before. You know, now I'm talking to everybody. I'm a hardcore introvert. I, I love canceling plans. I love not going out. And I'm like, <laughs> no, this is not exactly what I meant. But we need social connection. So safety or less threatening can be found primarily through connection with other people, knowing you're not alone. Right, right. Hence this. Look at all of us. I know this is great. It's, it's like safe, it's safe socializing for introverts. Cause it's like, I'm not really with you. It's okay. And you know, you asked me if I had on pants and I could have been like, no, I really don't. <laughs> I know. Right. My only qualm with this whole thing as an introvert is I can't make an excuse for why I have to go. Cause everyone knows I have nowhere to go. I have nowhere to go. I know. And that's why I'm like really hitting up everyone. <laughs> Cause I'm like, you're not traveling famous person I want on my podcast. Like Bob Harper, I saw his Instagram and he did a puzzle. It was like a 10,000 piece puzzle. I'm like, Bob Harper, you had time to do that 10,000 piece puzzle. You have time to be on my noon Zoom meeting. <laughs> straight. So I'm going to loop this back to your people pleasing thing. Yeah, okay. People pleasing is an effort to connect, right? Like the idea of people pleasing is I want you to be okay and to like me and to think I'm cool and that I'm helpful and useful. So you are connected to me. So I'm not isolated and alone. The intention is good, but really people pleasing is a form of self-harm. It's an emotional form of self-harm, but it is in fact, because in order to be a people pleaser, you have to betray yourself. You cannot be a people pleaser and authentically true to yourself at the same time. Oh, is that all the time or you mean? Most of the time. There's a, there's a point to which my need to please you is going to come at my expense. Yeah. And at the point it becomes self-betrayal, it becomes self-harm. But most of us who have been a lifelong people pleaser yeah. don't even know it. Not at all. But we do it to feel safe, right? I feel safe when you 
are telling me that I am valuable and worthy and you like me and I'm useful to you in whatever capacity I am. Yeah. So how do we break away from the people pleasing when we gain so much value from it? Like, what does that process look like? Well, one, it's why, what's your why? Why do you want to stop being a people pleaser? For some people, it might not cost them enough to want to change it. Like some people really, their lives work in people pleasing mode. And I'm not here to tell you, you can't be a people. It's, you know, it's an addiction that actually doesn't have medical, financial, legal, or, you know, really any consequences. It has internal consequences. You're not going to be feeling like your best self, but I'm not here to tell someone they have to stop people pleasing. Yeah. So for you, what's your why? Um, my why was because I was, I, I came to the realization that I lived completely my entire life for someone else. Like when you and I talked, so for the quick backstory of how I met Britt, um, I was when I did my quick five month stint living in Kansas city and, um, a mutual friend of ours introduced us, said, you got to interview Britt for the podcast. I went to her office and sat there and interviewed her for the podcast. And after we had a great interview, I forget what number it is, but if you guys want to have your brain, like go listen to that. Cause we really dug deep on that one. But, um, she, after we were done, she's like, I have a book for you and I really think this will help you. And I think you'll figure out your trauma once you read this book. And I'm glad to tell anyone this book offline if you message me. <laughs> um, but no, 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 I just don't, I, yeah. I'm totally it's not, glad. It's not a book that I wrote. It's just a really icky book to have. It's to an read. icky book to read, and I don't want to like talk about it right now. It's not like anyway. If I'll tell you what it is, just not on a recording. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I I took it home. I cracked the book open. Within ten minutes, I was like, "Holy shit! This is what has been my life. Great, thanks, Britt. Now everything I believed is going to completely float apart. And wow, and this explains so many things. And it was like from there, everything tumbled open for me. That was the start of my truth onion, right? It was like smash. There we go. Let's let's peel this <laughs> this bastard wide open over and over again. And it was really convenient because my book was due in like four weeks. So everything that I had thought I had come to in the book, the big conclusion, I was like, this is not even true. <laughs> Destroy the draft, start over. Um, and I had to change a lot of stuff because of it, um, because I was, I was working through this trauma. So um, the, all of that to say, that was when I realized I was just living someone else's life. <laughs> and, and I knew I was unhappy about it. I knew I went to law school for someone else. I knew I got married at 21. So people, you know, didn't want me to move in with a guy because that was sin. Um, that, you know, all the things I'd done in my life, I, it made sense to me. And so that's where people pleasing for me. I was like, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. I'm a 39 year old, six year old and we all are right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's how, that was my why. My why was I haven't actually lived my own life. How interesting to be almost 40 and not to have made any choices that I really decided to make. And it's not that anyone threatened me, right? but that was how I gained my value, being the good student, making people proud, you know, repairing past errors in the family line, <laughs> like making up for the, the ways everyone else screwed up. So anyway, that's a really good why. And I had a similar why, and eventually I couldn't people please. So I had to turn to other things to escape my own internal world. And those things eventually would have killed me if I didn't stop doing them. So that was my why. 
But if you're asking, how do you stop people pleasing? Number one is why do you want to stop people pleasing? And if you don't want to like, okay, then don't. And if you do, then ask yourself, what's the function of the people pleasing? Is this the only way I feel connected? And is this the only way I feel safe in my world? If the only time you feel accepted is if you're doing that people pleasing thing, then you're pretty screwed. You're going to go into a detox withdrawal, not unlike a drug. If you just mm -hmm. stop. Wow. Especially now. Oh, Kristen, yeah. We have a question. Hey, friend. I have a question. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. So just to be double the advocate for what Meredith said, I, um, the way that I explain it to Meredith is I feel like I'm a visitor on a foreign planet. So a lot of people talk about people pleasing and all of these things. And I am the exact polar opposite of the spectrum. I am not a people pleaser. I I'm the youngest of three children in a family that I was always the most responsible. I did everything. And so as soon as I left the family home, I turned to drugs and alcohol just to kind of have that relief of not being responsible anymore. And then I kind of had to dig myself out of that hole. And so now that I've found sobriety, it's like, I'm kind of a pain in the ass, you know, cause I'm always like, it's my way or the highway. I'm always right. It's, you know, like, follow my schedule, everything will be fine. So my question is, is I feel like there's a, there's a happy median here that I'm trying to find. Like I don't want to swing to the other side, but at the same time, I want to be more pleasant to be around. Does that make sense? <laughs> I love that you shared that. And thank you for being so transparent and so honest about that. Cause I have actually would go back and forth between I'm your yes girl and I'm this boss who pants and you have to do it my way and I'm a control freak and both extreme yeah. attempts to feel safe and to feel part of and protected, right? So the happy medium is when the brain feels seen, heard, validated, and authentically accepted, then that becomes the balancing point where sometimes it's okay to be bossy and sometimes it's okay to be the yes person. Like it's not always people pleasing to be, you know, go with the flow, like, right? Like you can be on board with someone else's plan and not have it be, well, you're- I would love to go with the flow, yes. That's what I want. It's just to just chill out. <laughs> right? But knowing that the control thing is just as much a survival adaptation as anything else, right? And again, yeah. taking the good and the bad off of it, it's not bad to be a control freak. It's not bad to be a people pleaser. It just doesn't, it just takes us further away from how we actually want to feel. Because I know I don't feel good when I'm being a crazy OCD bitch. And I don't feel good when I'm saying yes to things I want to say no to. So, but starting with it has its function and understanding why those coping skills showed up in the first place. Right. And that's a really There's good no point. There's no right way. Yeah. It's <laughs> a really good point that you can be both because actually I'm a pretty big ball buster too. So <laughs> I'm not actually, the, you know, I'm not very sweet either. So thanks for bringing that up, Kristen. Now I get to go chew on, oh wait, no, I'm actually not a people pleaser. I'm an ass. Plus of people, please. What is that? That's just, but yeah, I mean, great. Let me write that down in my journal and go get some cookies tonight to heal from that one. So that's, that's a really good point though. Um, anything else you want to say, Kristen? No, it's just that I just always feel like a lot of people are, are worried about self-care and these things and I'm like that's all I've been doing like I I feel like I need to go the other way so 
you need to know, push out like of people. <laughs> You're like, I need to care about humanity because all I care is. <laughs> I need to learn some empathy for sure. <laughs> but I, let me play psychologist for a minute because I feel like I understand that because if you are the youngest responsible for like your three older yeah. siblings, then of course you like, yeah, I mean, of course you'd feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I do, Britt. <laughs> I don't even need to be here for this meeting. <laughs> uh, oh, Jennifer, you have uh, your hand up. Okay, I think you're unmuted. Yeah, hey guys. Hey. Um, this is great. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I am a therapist also, um, and I'm a triathlete, and um, I'm also a woman in recovery. So um, I have been doing some online AA meetings um, And it's just so nice to be in a room that is like speaking my language. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I I can only tolerate so much of AA these days. I'm not, nothing bad against AA, but it just can be a a bit much sometimes. So I'm really grateful to be here. Um, And I want to kind of make a quarantine confession um, because it has just been so messy. Um, You know, it's like, I went to see my therapist the other day and we've been like doing some really, really intense deep work over the last year, um, week after week. And, uh, and it's been amazing. Um, and I came in there and I laughed and I said, all the work that we've been doing here, I said, the damn coronavirus is going to be the thing that like softens me (laughs) because I just felt so vulnerable, you know, and, um, but I've been okay with that. And I think Brett, when you were talking about, um, the connection, um, that's been so true for me is I feel more connected now than before. Um, and I have this deep need to be with others right now. And my defense that like I always had was that um, when people around me were being, would be soft, I always had this need to feel hard and in control. Um, but I have let that wall down over, over the last week where my friends would be anxious and sad and Um, and I would be too, and I would feel that protector coming up, but then I would immediately just like let it down and be with them and be sad with them and be anxious with them and be scared, you know, and, and honestly, I kind of feel like the silver lining in all this is that I'm softening through this process. And so, and then it's been messy. I mean, I, like I said, I'm a therapist and I am, um, a board member, I'm a triathlon coach as well. Um, and I'm, I do mental performance work with my athletes. So I did something similar to this with our tri club right before this, actually the hour before this, so like a support meeting. And we're like talking about mental performance skills. And, you know, a lot of people come to me for stuff, but like I have worked out once this week. Um, I don't even know. I think I've eaten bread at all four meal, all four meals every day. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I really don't care, you know, um, I, I'm in such survival mode right now and I have been so triggered. Um, but also I, I feel the growth in all this is that um, I'm so okay with it. Like I, I'm just doing the best that I can. And I know that that's okay um, because this is hard, um, you know, and, uh, and I, I'm every day I, I may try to make a commitment to myself to monitor my um, screen time and my, news time and I can't I'm like compulsively hooked on it right now (laughs) um but it is what it is I mean this is uncharted territory for all of us um but the one cool thing that I was thinking about today was you know kind of like this like the grieving cycle is 
you know, when we get, you know, when, when all of a sudden something happens and we lose something, we go into that denial and shock. And, and I feel like that's what has happened. But now all of a sudden this new normal is kind of like forming again. And as the week has gone on and um, I'm in Ohio, so our governor has like shut down everything pretty quickly. I think we were one of the first states to sh start shutting stuff down. So now becoming the new normal and I'm becoming more accepting of where we're at um, and starting to just feel a little more sane um, because a new normal is kind of forming. Um, and so there's some security in that. Um, but yes, I mean, this is such a time of trigger um, for, for trauma and my heart is breaking. I mean, I see people in the rooms um, relapsing. Mm -hmm. And um, somebody posted a comment today in one of the groups that I was in of like, that said, it, anyone experiencing triggers from this quarantine and this poor girl got like reamed by like, you know, people saying like, you should never have triggers. And I'm just like, ah! you know, and uh, because it's that mean, oh, it was bad. I don't even want to go off. I, it was really bad. It was so many comments of like old school mentality, a mentality of like people like saying like, triggers not in the big book you should never you're not working your program if you have triggers and i'm just wow. like wow it was really bad and i was like on a roll i've been like on a roll but um <laughs> but yeah so anyway um it's so good to be here um i just needed to share and like let stuff go for me um because i feel like this space is like people people are speaking my language here i was like oh no who's calling me it wasn't <laughs> thanks jennifer Thank you, Jennifer. Can I say something about the 12 steps? I know that's not the topic tonight, but I also know that we're good, Meredith, on noodling around all the places. Yeah, noodle away. I would love for the 12 steps to be completely redone in the face of this new thing. I've been, you know, and I've worked the steps. The steps are beautiful. I'm not anti-steps, but they're not trauma-informed, and they're, yeah. they're written through the lens of a moral code that is just not applicable to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, came to terms with my, you know, take, took a fearless invent, moral inventory and became willing to have God remove all my character defects. You know, what if instead of character defects, we named that as my maladaptive way of coping with my trauma? It's not, it's not good, but like, let's retool them in a way that's not shaming and inclusive because it shouldn't just be that chemical addicts get access to 12 steps it's just a good way to live russell brand did a great rewrite of all yes that. he did yeah. he did in his book what's that his book recovery right yeah yeah it's like deal with your shit don't be a dick and fix what you fuck yes. like yes. <laughs> yeah that's that applies across humanity that's just right. rules for life right. jordan peterson and russell brand should write the new 12 steps yes <laughs> that's awesome does anyone else want to share anything? Didn't know if there was any other question. Okay, what else should we talk about? Well, I'll say also people pleasers are having a really hard time right now because there's no people to please, right? <laughs> because the only people that there are left to please are the ones under your roof and the ones under your roof are, you know, likely the ones triggering all your crap that make you want to people please in the first place, but there's nowhere to go and there's nobody to take care of because we're all really mandated home. So I, you know, people pleasers are at kind of going through a detox withdrawal thing and that's where a lot of these i'm i'm eating all the food and watching all the shows because we're all of our stuff is bubbling up because all the things we normally do are unavailable yeah 
I know something else. I've come across this a few times. What about conflict? Um, like, and this is, I think, separate from people pleasing, but like conflict avoidance, you know, just when you live your life trying to constantly avoid conflict in all areas. I mean, is that, that's different from people pleasing or is it sort of the same or like what, how do you kind of fall on that, Britt? They're siblings. I think people will people please in order to avoid conflicts. Like I don't like conflict. I I will avoid it if I can. Yeah. You know, do it if I have to. But you know, you can avoid conflict in lots of ways. People pleasing is one way to avoid it. Okay. And that goes back to inner child stuff, right? Like if conflict in your brain is equated with danger, scary, out of control, powerlessness, vulnerable, I'm gonna get my ass beat, then if conflict then meant that, then conflict now is gonna feel completely overwhelming. So we really wanna dial up our adult self when we're facing conflict and be able to kind of organize all of those different parts of our younger selves and know that I can approach conflict now and it doesn't have to mean the same as when I was five. You know, conflict as a 40-year-old is going to look a lot different than conflict as a four-year-old. But it doesn't necessarily feel that if you haven't done the work. At all. Right. It feels just the same. And where do you start? Like if you, you know, for me, I know when I was an attorney, I used to get really sweaty palmed, sweaty pitted anytime I had a really asshole male opposing counsel. Anytime I had a strong male on the other side of the courtroom, I did not do well. And I was a, I was a good lawyer. I just didn't like it, but I could hold my own. I wrote, you know, I, I was okay at it, but I, that's why I left. I ended up leaving the legal profession because of male attorneys. And now that I work through all this, I'm kind of like, maybe I should go back and try that again. I kind of feel like I, I can do this job now. Um, but I would have a visceral reaction to another grown man yelling at me mm -hmm. as a grown woman. Mm -hmm. I still do. I don't, especially in the online sphere. And I know you know this because you have a lot of people that read what you write and some people get really aggressive. And even though I logically know there are comments on a screen from people that I don't know and can't hurt me, I'll get heart palpitations and sweaty palms and a dry mouth too. And people go super aggressive online. That's just, brain chemistry it's we are being attacked our amygdala doesn't know that it's not real and you know we do respond as if we were those scared little kids so, so how do we begin to separate it i think that's a good good place to kind of wrap up like how do we how do we identify like maybe where our trauma the general direction of it and like where to go from here you know like i know you can't just say we're gonna do this and this and the everyone on their own steps okay this is gonna fix it right now online are you okay. ready let's just solve the problem here okay so here you go <laughs> the question to ask yourself if you're triggered by anything is well first assume you're not crazy that's always my first go-to there's nothing wrong with you you're not sick you're not crazy start there then the second thing to ask yourself is which part of me feels this way it's not all of me it's a part of me is it a four-year-old part of me is it a teenage part of me is it you know like an adolescent middle school if she's you know saying something my dog is being a little crazy crazy Ugh. don't call your dog crazy you are not crazy you're crazy <laughs> Little guy. Okay. 
which part of me is feeling this way because knowing which part is triggered is going to inform the intervention. A self-care activity for a four-year-old might be coloring. It's not gonna be eating kale. A self-care activity for a 25-year-old part might be a kale smoothie or whatever. But knowing this is the part of me that's triggered, this is what her story is, and here's how I can give her or him or them a corrective reparative experience. Does that make sense? So if my 12-year-old self feels rejected because the girls are mean and bullying her, then I might need to call a friend, an actual friend, who can remind me that I have friends and I'm grown and I'm accepted and it's cool and all is well. What if you're, yeah, okay, that, no, that makes sense. <laughs> I'm like, what if you don't know if it's the kid or the 12 year old and everyone's just hurting and lumped in a corner somewhere? <laughs> you tell by your reaction, right? Uh -oh. If like in super bitch mode, that's usually a teenage part. If I'm crying and shaking and like all of a sudden feeling terrified and overwhelmed, that you can, and again, it's a practice, but you can generally tell the age range by the quality of the feelings you're feeling. You know, are you feeling like vigilant? Like I'm gonna cut a bitch. Or are you feeling like, oh my God, somebody hug me and tell me they love me. And so that's a good place to start. And then if you're dealing with conflict with people that like are in your life that you trust and that you love, you can say to them, hey, I have a part of me that is experiencing what you said like this. That way you're not going on the offensive, right? Like, hey, Meredith, you know, when you said that thing, I had like a you know, like a younger part of me, her story about that is that you don't like her anymore and she just needs you to reassure her. That way I am not reacting from my trigger. I'm speaking on behalf of my trigger. And then you don't feel attacked and our relationship stays intact. Hmm. I can, I can just see, okay, how else can you bring that up to someone? Cause I can see myself going to my husband and being like, Hey, so like right now, my four-year-old self is feeling really lonely and sad. He'd be like, well, tell your four-year-old self to get a grip. Like he would be like, what are you talking about? You know? So, so how are you doing that? that <laughs> Before you do that, you need to have a conversation with your partner that like, okay, here's what parts are. Here's like why that's an evidence-based neurologically sound way of working with the brain. And in the future, when I come to you, letting you know my four-year-old self is triggered, don't be a dick when <laughs> I'm asking you to help, you know, mediate support to my parts. Right. Then your partner might be like, okay, well, tell your four-year-old self, like she's cool and all as well. Like it's, it's really not that hard. My partner isn't a therapist and isn't in the IFS world. And he's like, okay, well, I hope your little people are okay right now. And it's like, they're, they're my little people and it's fine. What age is your, is your younger self? I have all of them. You do. So you, any age. And when you think about that, are you like literally taken back to like seven-year-old Brit? Like you you can like be in that moment. Mm-hmm. You smell the smells, you're right there. You hear the songs, you're right there. You watch the shows, you're right there. I need to not watch like 90s TV before I go to sleep. Right. I have adolescent nightmares. Right. And I'll be really angry that Jordan Catalano did not love me. Exactly. That too. Um, okay. So where do we go from here? Let's leave on a positive note for the next, like, give us some tips for... Then the, this week that's coming up, like the so, stock market's going to open like shit. So there's that, um, you know, yay. But other, you know, what, what do we have for this week? Well, give us some good stuff. 
So how about permission granted for it to be what it is without for, you know, radical acceptance. If you're going to have a shitty week, the only thing that's going to make your shitty week worse is to give yourself shit about having a shitty week. If you can start with, okay, you know what? This is not my week to, to win. This is not my week for gains. This is not my week to, to be killing it. It's, I accept, now I, I accept where I'm at doesn't mean I'm okay to stay here. It just means I'm radically surrendering and accepting what is. And that's going to give me what I need in order to take another step out of that. So really radical acceptance is going to make a huge difference. So, you know, if the stock market crashes and you look at your portfolio and then you have a panic attack and then you binge eat all your ice cream, like, okay, sitting on the floor of your bathroom, say, say to yourself, okay, wow, I observe that I'm having a really bad day today. And I accept that. Yeah. What, what's the next right thing? Thank you, Frozen 2, for that song, yeah. for making you know, what's the next right thing for me to do? So that's the next thing is radically accept when you, where you're at. Ask yourself, what's the next right thing I can actually do and how can I give myself a win? Doing all the laundry is not going to be a yes for me. Doing one load of laundry is going to be a yes for me today. Yeah. Right? So getting yourself to a win no matter how small. And then stuff like this, reach out to other humans. Know that you're not alone in this. We're all doing the best that we can. And yeah. it can't be that all of your people are all having a shitty day all at the same time. Someone is having a less crappy moments and then that person takes the lead. And then you share the responsibility, you share the burden. Like we're all sharing this burden right now. Right, right. And I also want to encourage people that are listening, listening to the replay of this on the podcast. There is a misconception that you have to show your face on this. You and like, we're going to look at you and think you're dirty <laughs> because you haven't bathed. I, I want to encourage people to join these daily. You can, you don't have to do video. I like to see video, um, but this is not about me. If I'm the only one on video, I will still be here. <laughs> um, but this is about connection. And I think I love that radical acceptance. And I think that is a huge milestone when you get there. And I think for the first time in my entire life, I am there because like, and I'll tell you a quick example since I lost like 28 pounds this summer in September, I had a visit with my parents. I use that as an example and an excuse for why I should just start eating shit food. <laughs> and I did that off and on because then my book was coming out and then I was, my book release was snowed in and now, you know, and, and I was going through all these coping mechanisms that I've used my whole life that have made me hate myself mm -hmm. and that have made me turn to alcohol. You know, it's like the whole shebang, right? And I got to the end of it, which was like recently. And I thought, it's okay. It's just what it is. <laughs> this is where you are. You needed it. That pizza was good. All 27 pizzas you've had. <laughs> like, and it's fine. So what, it, and what you said, what is the next right thing? We put so much pressure on ourselves for all of these modes of perfectionism and they have served us none our whole lives. And so I like the idea of the, the radical acceptance, even though that's a really hard place to, to come. It is, but if you think about it, you know, the only alternative to radical acceptance is shame. And the enemy of growth is, like, you only have two choices. Either go in a shame spiral and keep repeating, or radically accept what's going on, surrender, give yourself grace, pick up, dust off, and move on. So, you know, if our brains can latch on to you, you only have two options. Love and accept, or shame and condemn. Then it makes accepting where you're at a whole lot easier. 
Love and accept or shame and condemn. Yeah, that's good. Like, is this nonsense? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, exactly. Two answers. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier, yeah. right? Like, there's not a, a plethora of opportunities for choice. You know, if you made a decision that's not a good one, are you going to go into shame or are you going to go into acceptance? It's like a little tree. Go into acceptance, and then you have the power to make a new, you know, make a new decision and come out of it. Go into shame, you're going to spin and continue along the same way. Oh, that's good. Oh wow. I have an unrealistic fear I'm going to starve to death due to COVID. Yeah, I, I do too. That makes sense though, right? Especially if you have relatives who are in depression and you've heard those stories and it's in your ancestral kind of your, you know, your genetic DNA that that fear makes, especially given we don't know what's up. So start with, okay, that's, that's where I'm at. That's, that makes sense that you have that fear. And then what are my choices? So the opposite of trauma is choice. So anywhere we're able to make choices of any kinds, that's going to help our brains orient out of a panic traumatized level 10 situation. You may not like your choices, but if you can be mindful of choices, that will help your brain deactivate. So, okay, this is my fear. What are my choices? That's good. We probably have time for one more question for Britt, if anyone has it, um, has anything to add, you can type it in. You can send it to me if it's not for public eyes. <laughs> So glad you're doing this. This is. Oh, so I'm so glad you're my friend. Thanks for being my friend, Brett. Six-year-old Meredith. Yeah. And seventeen-year-old Meredith, because I think we would have had a lot of really good fun. So much fun, but with the parts work, I'll share this because I said this to you on one of our on one of just our friend talks. I'm like, you know, I love you, I respect you, you're my girl, and I have a teenage part of me that's really jealous of you, and she thinks you're the cool girl, and that. Like, <laughs> reject her and she is like scared to be friends with you that's not me that's a part of me and she just needs you to know or she wants you to reassure her that you're not going to turn into a bully bitch from hell <laughs> well one person on this chat actually knew high school meredith i won't say who <laughs> um <laughs> but if they would like to come forward no but um i don't i, I can assure you that meredith was not the cool girl <laughs> we were like the ones that were too cool to be cool <laughs> so funny. Oh, from Beth, additional mental health resources. Oh. So I have a list on my website of all my favorite yeah. books, and so you can check it out there. Is it The Greenhouse, Casey? Yeah, dot com. Okay, I'm going to put to update it with everything that's going on now, but just sort of, you know, basic trauma stuff. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. So it's under Britt's bookshelf. Britt's bookshelf, the scary bookshelf. Not so scary. We'll change your life. Right. All right, friend. Well, if no one else has any questions, we will sign off tonight. Tomorrow's meeting is 12 p.m. Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific. It's with Mike Riley, the voice of Iron Man. So please join that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're, we're just going to have a lot of fun. So thank you, Britt. I adore you. Oh, what you want to talk real quick about your NARC class? Oh yeah, thank you. So like having survived and that like that's why I feel so for the people stuck in abusive situations because I was in one of those relationships and I can't imagine being quarantined with a psycho narcissistic abuser. Um so I partnered with Narcanon and we spent the last year and a half making an online class and it's for how to cope with and all things narcissism abuse related, why they do what they do, why we do what we do, how they do what they do, family dynamics, addiction, trauma, and grief. It's it's all the things. And so you can find that on my website too. Oh, that's on, that's on your website. 
But it's narsanon.com too, right? Yeah, you can also find it under narsanon.org. Oh, org, sorry. Dang it, I always get those wrong. Okay, perfect. All right, well, until next time, everyone, thank you for joining. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.